Rebels premiered almost 10 years ago, and we're going back to the beginning of the Ghost Crew story to see where it all started. Spectre 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6, checking in for our discussion on Rebels Season 1. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this week's episode where we are revisiting Rebels Season 1, and I'm so excited. I'm ready to talk about Rebels. We've been talking about a rewatch of Rebels for a long, long time, and it has finally arrived. It's here. And I was, uh, I have a lot of thoughts and I'm like very excited to get into it, but I'm just like you, Caitlin, obviously I really wanted to do this and revisiting Rebels is so warm and cozy and great. And I'm really excited to talk through it because I think it's kind of known on the podcast that Caitlin was an early adopter of Star Wars Rebels and I was a slow adopter mm -hmm. of Star Wars Rebels. And because of that, I think growing to extremely love the show by season three and four for me and revisiting season one, I realized that I was mistaken <laughs> back then. And I just think I was in a different headspace. And that's, it's totally fair. It's fine. I've moved on. But I, it, uh, that also sounds like I was negative when I really wasn't that negative, right? You just it's weren't, just, um, you, it was kind of like a take it, leave it kind of thing. Like you watched it, but it wasn't, I would watch like three yeah, episodes at a time. Yeah, you would watch it in like batches and then... Yeah. And then... And then nothing. And then by season two, <laughs> and then by season two it was like, oh, I got I got to watch it week to week. Yeah. Yeah. And you waffled a little bit too with Rebels. But obviously during Rebels is when we started Sky Talkers at the very end of it. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's been, yeah. been a journey. It's very interesting to revisit this time period and we're going to be talking about it in this episode. And just FYI, this will be full spoilers. So we're, when we're talking about season one, we might reference season four. I just feel like we have to. Yeah. So that's the way it's going to go. <laughs> I, we're, we're always talking about like if discussions are going to be spoilers, but we don't do non-spoiler discussions very well. So I just, I'm sorry. Like season four came out in 2018. The only way this can work for us as Caitlin and Charlotte is as full, full spoilers. Yeah, we just got to talk about parallels. Like, the we parallels. can't go through this, ep this episode like, we can't not. without talking about the parallels. So, yeah. if you haven't watched all the entirety of Rebels, turn this podcast off. It'll be here when you're done. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, I watched season one of Rebels in two days and <laughs> it flew by. I was doing some needle pointing and I was like, wow, this is it. I'm, I'm done with season one. <laughs> and I was like, wow, I'm really enjoying this. Anyway, so I think we're all gearing up to see these characters again in Ahsoka in August. So it felt like the right time to revisit it and talk about it on the podcast. Like I mentioned, since we started the podcast mid Star Wars Rebels, we covered some episodes on the podcast way back when. And I haven't revisited them in a long time. It was. Um, I actually did because this was one of maybe one of our first series, I guess you could say, that we did on Sky Talkers. Yeah. It's called Fulcrum Files. Um, we had like some fun artwork that went with it. And the, you know, talking about full spoilers, the episode, the World Between World episode, the intro, like the first 20 minutes of us, I listened to this episode like within the past year. And the intro of us on this episode was just, chaos 
full cat. It was like, I've never had an experience like watching a Star Wars show <laughs> like that in my entire, like maybe that was on watching World Between Worlds and Wolves in a Door was the same experience for me as watching a Star Wars, a new Star Wars movie. Oh yeah. And maybe even more so because my brain was firing on literally all cylinders. Like it, it, I can't even that it, entire, that was a, out a of seminal experience. experience. I, yes. Yeah. I, there was just something, but our, in the episode, we talked about how our entire Google doc was in all caps, like the entire thing, the entire Google doc of our notes was in all caps. <laughs> Yes. And it was just, I think that's how the episode also sounds is in all caps. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's just truly wild. <laughs> but, but anyway. I think the, we, the point is we haven't talked about season one no. or season two really at all. So we really wanted to do that in in terms of discussing, I don't know, in terms of the Sky Talkers canon of episodes that we have because... <laughs> It feels like a shame considering we love this show so much that we still we have a lot to say. Yeah. And I think our intent is to do all to do an episode per season, kind of similar to this one. Um, I yes. can't say that that will happen in the next like two months before the end of August, but it actually might. It, you it never might. Know. Yeah. I just don't want to I don't want to put that I out. I don't want to promise it because <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to put that on us because you you might be like, what else do you got going on, Caitlin and Charlotte? What else and are you doing? The answer is a very um, the most intense summer series that we've ever done. So, yeah, <laughs> so just, that's that's, that's on putting the docket. It a little, like, yeah, that's on the docket. So we're really working on that, and I thought that this would be still a fun thing to do during the summer while we're still preparing for the summer series. So, um, one last update is that Indiana Jones is out as this episode should be coming out um, when we're recording. It is not out yet, but uh, we have seen it and we loved it. We will be recording a reaction and talking about the premiere and things like that that we'll post on Patreon soon. So keep your eyes out for that. And definitely, if you want to support us on Patreon, the links are below to do that. And then you can listen to a lot of other bonus episodes that we have too. I'm so excited to watch Indiana Jones again, and I'm excited to talk about our reaction uh, with you as well on Patreon. So why don't we start diving into our Rebels discussion? In part one, we're going to be contextualizing season one. In part two, we're going to be talking about the themes of season one. And in part three, we're going to be talking about our highlights and lowlights of the season. Without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first? Okay, so welcome to part one where we're going to be talking about contextualizing Star Wars Rebels season one. So just to set the scene, okay, <laughs> let's take it back. Right now, <laughs> it is 2023. We're talking about something that aired. The first episode was a mini movie that aired on Disney Channel on October 3rd, 2014. There was some shorts that were released shortly before this, and then also, interestingly, a book from Delray and or Disney books, I can't remember. Um, a New Dawn, which focused on Kanan and Hera, it came out a month or two before the show aired. And something interesting about that is that was technically the first novel in the new established Star Wars canon post Disney sale. So, thinking about where we were in 2014 as Star Wars fans is just a fascinating time period because a lot was changing, a lot was new, and a lot was coming down the road. Something to 
that always contextualizes Star Wars Rebels for me, and I think it's really unfair for the series that we got for Star Wars Rebels, is how Star Wars Rebels followed the cancellation of the Clone Wars. And I think that this was the next piece. A lot of people haven't really publicly talked about that, I guess. Like the creators and everything never really talked about how like the, the Clone Wars was canceled. And then we moved to this new show. And I think Dave has talked about, Dave Filoni has talked about often how he had all these ideas and things um, for when this new show would happen or like he would write down things that were happening to Ahsoka and how he could fit those into future story ideas and things like that. But this show really came on the heels of the cancellation of The Clone Wars, but then also we were a year out basically from The Force Awakens. So while I started a little bit with the negativity around the cancellation of The Clone Wars, there was also a lot of extreme positive energy <laughs> about the renewal of Star Wars movies and the new ones that are coming down the line. When this aired, I don't think, yeah, the, so the Black Friday trailer hadn't come out yet. Yeah. So this like really was the look into the next generation of Star Wars. And that is a lot to carry on its shoulders, right? What do you think? Yeah, totally. I think it's it's kind of weird. There's a lot I don't remember about the the premiere of Rebels or even it like kind of coming out. I mean, this was kind of in the the thick of our college experience. So I feel like our senior year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I don't think I was as like dialed in on everything that was going on at the time that wasn't the movie. <laughs> I yeah, mean, it's interesting. It's it's weird to think about because we were such huge Clone Wars fans and like already big fans of Dave Filoni and like the work that the animation department was doing. So to to like think back on that time and realize that I don't remember a lot of like the discourse or what people saying or even like watching the shorts from Rebels and things like that. It's it's like, oh, wow, you must have had like a busy schedule <laughs> at school <laughs> trying to find a job or something like that, <laughs> that you don't remember what was going on. But I think that, you know, reading back some of like reviews and like different articles about Rebels coming out at this time, it is interesting like how they talk about it because there's one and I, I can't remember, I think it is like the first Rebels recon where Dave is talking about starting Rebels and he has an interesting wording which I doesn't feel accurate where he basically says like, exactly. Chose... That's what I meant about that Yeah, it was... when, before when I said that. Yeah. He was like, we chose not to go on with Clone Wars because George wasn't going to be a part of it anymore. And I'm like, that's a really fascinating way to describe like a corporate buyout. <laughs> <laughs> we're choosing. It's very almost like a little martyry of we're choosing not to go on with Clone Wars because George isn't going to be around anymore. I, I do wonder if there is some truth to that, though, because I do feel like, number one, they already had a bunch of Clone Wars in the can, right? For the Lost Mission season six, like Dave had story outlines and the rest of the team too for essentially what we see in season seven, right? Um, so it's not like that work didn't exist. So I feel like there is a version, a, a timeline where the animation team could have really, I don't want to say like forced Disney's hand because I don't know if you can force Disney's hand, but like really push for Disney to come to some kind of agreement with Cartoon Network um, about the rights to Clone Wars and like, actually finishing out the series with what was 
what was already in put on Netflix. Yeah, put in production basically. Um, and like actually rounding out that story. But instead, there was this decision and this agreement to go forward with a new show with Rebels. And yeah, I just find that like to have been a fly on the wall for those conversations, right? Like there are certain Star Wars conversations that I would want to be a fly on a wall on. That's not number one, but it's definitely in the top 10 for me (laughs) (laughs) about the Clone Wars Rebels trade-off and development. I remember the fandom during this time period, and I think it was sort of the word that I would use is like smoky. Like you can't really – Yeah. As a fan, it was like the Clone Wars is in trouble after the Disney buyout, which happened in 2012. Well, I just – We were waiting. I felt like we were waiting forever for them to actually make an announcement on if it would be canceled. And we were like, it's like the most popular show on Cartoon Network. Are they really going to do that? We're like, yeah, they will. No, they won't. That's what I remember. But then I remember Rebels coming out and people really liking it and then following that journey – and then also some people being like, this show isn't actually about the Rebel Alliance. I thought it was going to be about the Rebel Alliance. Yeah. And it kind of isn't. And I, so I remember that discourse a little bit. And as huge fans of Dave Filoni, I think we were always intrigued and curious about the next steps, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I just remember some rumblings and thoughts that were sort of scattered, basically, all over the place with when the show was debuting. And... I I want to I don't exactly love how this conversation has been evolving like it sounds quite negative and I don't think my perception of rebels at this time was actually negative it was just like oh that's different here we're going into a different time period I think your perception of it was clone wars will always be my number number one yeah and and like that's okay yeah no that's totally it's still okay. kind of true <laughs> so <laughs> and I think the thing is, is I I know that there's some Rebels fans who think that that's true for people working on the series too, you know? And sometimes I think that's sad. I think Rebels deserves more than that, you know? Um, But it's also like people can have their preferences and everything. And I think the story that was told in the four seasons of Rebels is truly incredible and like an A+. And I think it's really interesting also. I think you, you put in a ton of early reviews of that like mini movie that came out on Disney Channel, which was the first episode of Star Wars Rebels. And the reviews are pretty positive. Mm-hmm. And I kind of don't remember that being the case, I guess. I've just been so used to <laughs> negativity <laughs> around like George's stories coming out. I don't know. So I think like it, it's, the Variety interview was really positive and was excited about the direction that the series was going and how it looked. It called out that, which I think is interesting, that the series placement on the channel Disney XD was because Disney XD is considered, quote, boy-oriented. Didn't know that, but I think it does make sense when I think about it in hindsight. So I think Disney wanted to explore a 3D animation on their channels. It also talks about, like, all the reviews talk about how it's great that the series feels like Star Wars because they lean on music cues that we're familiar with, characters. Like the first shot of Star Wars Rebels is Darth Vader. And Kevin Kiner's score isn't necessarily net new in a lot of ways. It is recycling old themes from John Williams. Um, and also something to remember too is this is the first show that explored the time period. This is so wild. Between 
Revenge of the Sith, and A New Hope. Mm-hmm. So by placing this the show five years out from A New Hope, they were able to explore the Ralph McQuarrie style artwork and set it in a in a sense of place, I guess, that felt that felt familiar to the original trilogy. And because of that resetting, as fans of the prequels, I think when I would see that, I'd be like, okay, so you just don't want to do anything with the aesthetic of the prequels anymore. All right. However, I did enjoy this artistic style and it's very clear. It really works for me. And Dave has talked about how the style is even slightly goofier because the jokes are funnier in Star Wars Rebels than they are in Clone Wars and how the expressions are more, the expressions on characters are more able to express. <laughs> they push and them to the like, limit, I think, in their expressions. Yeah. Kind of kind of like yeah. Resistance does that to another degree from Rebels, Absolutely. I would say. I think some sometimes people have talked about the characters of Rebels and the way that they're animated as like gummy, where they it's very fluid, I think. Like I specifically yeah. can gummy, picture in my yeah. head yeah, G- Gumby, I said gummy, but like it is like Gumby. I can picture in my head Kanan's intense expressions that are kind of goofy and I love that about his character and that sort of goofiness just was not ever really present in the Clone Wars especially with the style of George Lucas going with like the marionette style of the um, characters anyway all of this is really interesting when we contextualize this entirely in the fact that this is the first original trilogy pre-original trilogy post Fan, uh, post-prequel trilogy series, um, in, both in chronological timeline and also story setting. And I think that there's a lot of leaning originally in that early marketing on the nostalgia of the original trilogy. And you even see that in the first episode of Rebels Recon, which is a YouTube series that would cover Rebels after every single episode, bring it back for every single Star Wars series. Like, Caitlin and I are obsessed. I, I miss that so much. But the first episode is very much like Star, Star Wars Rebels is here. This was so nostalgic, just like the original trilogy, right? Did you feel that way too when you when you rewatched it? Yeah, there's definitely an emphasis and like a celebration of that nostalgia, like from the reviews and also from within like something like Rebels Recon, which is really fascinating when you think later on about The Force Awakens really leaning into that too. And it kind of backfiring a little bit more, I would say, than it did in Rebels. And I, I would also just like to add on that Rebels Recon... Nothing has really topped Rebels Recon when it comes to TV show behind the scenes content since Rebels Recon. The only thing that comes close, and I'm I'm not putting it as number one because it hasn't continued, is the entire series of The Mandalorian Season 1, The Gallery. That is God tier. But it, we don't have it anymore. <laughs> like, we still have The Gallery. I'm not saying that. I know we do. It but was, like A new one came out today. But it's just, but yeah. <laughs> it's just one episode. It's just an hour long. And then, like, in the first season, we had, like, six hours or something of it. And it was incredible. And it was, like, everything. But then they just, like, they decreased that amount by, like, 90%. <laughs> the work that the Star Wars Online team did for Rebels Recon. It was is so amazing. And I know that it probably came from wanting to grow the show, new like management, I guess, with like the Disney purchase and like launching the brand new show and also wanting to grow like their YouTube channel. But as someone who works in online media, 
the amount of work that must go into mm-hmm. that, I, I watch it. I'm like, this is insane. And we are, we were so lucky to experience we really, that week to week. We really also, were. I feel like we knew we were lucky when we were experiencing it too. It was just we were like, so this cool. is so great. And it was like, yeah. I remember even in season four, like waiting for Rebels Recon to be uploaded and it would get uploaded at like 11 or noon the next day uh, after the episode aired, something like that. But I, I just, I really, I know how much work it is. And I know that Andy Gutierrez talked a lot about, especially in season like one of Rebels, like she was also running like their entire social media by herself and um, was, I think at least like 50%, I think it was her and Scott who were like the only two people working on the Star Wars on the Rebels Recon at the time. Anyway, like a very, very small team (laughs) doing this every single week. And it's just, it was incredible. It was so special. And I, I just really, I really think that Star Wars TV would benefit from something similar to this. And I know that's crazy to say because Star Wars TV has like exploded in the last couple of years, but there was such like a sense of like community around Rebels Recon and people who were tuning into that and like the questions and getting them answered and like the chopper, like I don't know. There was something really cozy about Rebels Recon. And I think it would be really cool to see that explored in another show in some format. And we really haven't. Um, Even The Mandalorian Gallery Season 1 is very different than Rebels Recon. Excellent, but very different. Um, Anyway, can't speak highly enough about Rebels Recon. I mean, the thing, it had plots. It had storylines. It had plot twists. It was like... I think it fostered a fandom. It really did. And... Anyway, that's all we can wax poetic about it. They, the mm-hmm. Rebels Recon still can continue to be great sources for like behind the scenes features and uh, like content from the voice actors and crew and creators and writers and everything like that. So anyway, can't say enough good things about it. I miss it dearly. <laughs> um One thing I did want to add, though, about the development of Rebels is that in a lot of these interviews and stuff, Dave mentions that this is something that he's been thinking about for a while. It's not something that just kind of it's not like Disney was like, hey, you need to have an idea in like a month for this new for a new show in development. Like Dave talks about how he there I think it's with Joel Aaron in the first Rebels Recon who is mentioning that like way back in the Clone Wars era, Dave would always be talking about the future. I think that's what Joel Aaron said. Um and he would be like kind of throwing out these ideas and little doodles about like what's coming next and he always had it on his mind about what would be coming next for the animation department and this kind of forward thinking about what would be the new story? What would be the like the look, the design, things like that? Like these were all thoughts that Dave and and I'm sure the rest of the creative team too were thinking of during Clone Wars period. So it wasn't something just completely brand new. And I thought this was interesting, especially if you've listened to any of our celebration coverage, hearing the way that Dave Filoni talked about season two of Tales of the Jedi was kind of very similar to how it felt like he was thinking about rebels during the time of Clone Wars, if that makes sense. Obviously, Rebels was is at a bigger scale than something like Tales of the Jedi. But if you're unfamiliar, when Dave announced season two of Tales of the Jedi at Star Wars Celebration in London this year, he kind of made this like speech about really wanting to make sure that there was something in place in the Lucasfilm animation department to foster new talent and new storytelling and 
to keep the animation department like continually working on like something, something new. It was kind of weird how he described it, but it it sounded, it felt like it came from a place of like wanting to keep the Lucasfilm in-house animation department, like continually moving forward and bringing in new talent and fostering that. And that was kind of what he wanted for season two of Tales of the Jedi. Um, it's obviously still, still not clear if he's completely writing it or executive producer, you know, like we don't know um, what that's going to look like, but All that to say is it felt very similar to the way that he was thinking about what would become Rebels during the time of the Clone Wars, which is kind of a a cool parallel. I will say, so I was reading back through kind of original, uh, not interviews, uh, reviews of Rebels season one. And like Charlotte mentioned earlier, they were kind of like overwhelmingly positive. um, And it it was kind of nice to read back through because I think a lot of the times, especially when I think about this period, I think about like the hashtag save the clone wars or bring back the clone wars hashtag. And we've talked about that before on the show. Don't really need to get into it here, but I was reading this, this guy, I think his name was Kevin Johnson. He reviewed uh, rebels on the AV club, which I used to love reading reviews on AV club (laughs) after Mm -hmm, like for many different shows, but I was going, yeah, I was going back through his, um, all of his reviews. He didn't review clone wars. He actually was watching clone wars for the first time. Like rebels was his first star Wars show. He hadn't watched clone wars when he started rebels, which I think is interesting. We're, We're always talking about entry points into star Wars and I guess star Wars animation. So anyway, he like kind of from the get-go, really liked Star Wars Rebels. And I thought he had some really interesting things to say about the first season. Um, One thing I thought that was kind of so funny, though, is that he, like, doesn't like Chopper (laughs) in the first season. And he's, like, convinced that Chopper is an imperial plant in the ghost crew and is going to betray them (laughs) one day. (laughs) I can't. And so funny because I'm like that's how intense of a murder droid they made Chopper to the point where this man was like he clearly can't be working perhaps they overcorrected on making the anti-R2 like this is so funny he also like how dare you hate Chopper he's the best no I have I didn't read the rest of his reviews like through he he reviewed the entire series Uh, I haven't continued on to see if his opinions on Chopper change but like at the end of every review he would have these little like different like kind of like tidbits of things he wanted to call out about the episode that were kind of random and without fail there's usually one of like Chopper was pretty useless this episode or like Chopper almost helped, but then didn't. This feels like a sign or something like that. <laughs> it's just so funny. <laughs> um, but yeah. And anyway, uh, I just, I, I think that this time period is so fascinating for all of the reasons that we've discussed. There's just so much influx and so much unknown. And you said that the fandom or things kind of felt almost smoky. And I think that that's a good way to describe it because it did kind of feel like, okay, like this is the first thing coming out. What's it going to be like? There's this whole camp of people that are really upset and sad that the Clone Wars is canceled. And Remember, the cliffhanger that The Clone Wars is canceled on is, like, the biggest cliffhanger ever. People don't remember this. <laughs> but like, that's, that is part of Ahsoka it. Ahsoka <laughs> leaves. That's that's the final shot of Clone Wars. <laughs> and, like, I was there. My heart was ripped out. And, like, that's where what people were left on for a very long time. So it makes sense to be, like, 
that was like the most beautiful, poignant, emotional thing I've seen from Star Wars in so long. And like, we're just done with it. And we're going to this like new kid. <laughs> like, I get it. But it was such an, an odd time, I think, to be so upset and sad to be leaving a character, um, characters that we love so much in Clone Wars, but then to transition to a completely new uh time frame a new world with new characters and everything like that and all everything kind of slowly trickling out about the force awakens and everything that's going on there it's just it is a smoky time as a fan this like 2012 to 20 2015 era it was a smoky time but i was all in and so so were you right like i with rebels it was one of those things where it was just I always knew, I think, that I would just kind of struggle a little bit in the beginning and eventually like they would find their footing and then I would join that whole thing too. But upon this rewatch, I realized that they already found their footing. It was me who couldn't find my footing um, (laughs) right away. So regardless, like I knew that we were about to embark on a chapter, a new era of Star Wars where there was just going to be a lot of it. And I think you mentioned this a a while ago, but like we were super laser focused on the movies. However, we were watching it and I watching it. We were watching it and we were watching Rebels Recon and I was in. I really was. I was intrigued. Rebels has such a strong premiere too compared to yeah, like we talked about this with Resistance. I think that Resistance season one has probably the strongest premiere out of all three of the animated shows. It kind of goes like if I were ranking them, which I don't love to rank things. Bad Batch is number one though. <sighs> Bad Batch. Bad Batch is really good. I still think I might put Resistance as number one. It's probably Resistance, Bad Batch, Rebels, Clone Wars, as far as like mm-hmm. premiere episodes. But mm-hmm. I just think Resistance has such like a It's like an explosion of, like, character, I think, in Resistance, Mm. which I think is really fun. Um, And I think that kind of sets it apart in my head. But I I agree with you. Bad Batch is an excellent premiere episode. Um, I think personally, Resistance might be my favorite. But Rebels is really good. And so I think thinking, like, if we go back to this time period when we only had Clone Wars and Rebels – and you think about where Clone Wars started and where Rebels started, they're in vastly different skill levels, I think, of the teams creating them. I don't want to say skill levels. I'll say, like, of the technology that was available and how they developed that technology in Clone Wars and even the process of uh, how they're creating these stories. There's one interview, too, on StarWars.com with Dave where he's talking a ton about how George, um, like, would force him to do a ton of previs before during Clone Wars and that that was something they carried into Rebels. And of course, we know that the previous stage just became like such an important part of the Mandalorian and that that was part of, I guess, Dave's upbringing through animation that then kind of helped him carry over into the Mandalorian. So just so many tidbits in all of this of how it all kind of comes together. Yeah, I think it's a really strong beginning. And it's funny because when you watch back those first two episodes, especially, all the lines that are like quote unquote famous from Star Wars Rebels are in those two episodes. Mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, there it is. There it is. It's established. And it's just a really strong beginning that, like I mentioned, begins with Darth Vader and then establishes Lothal as a very important planet. 
establishes Ezra as an intriguing character. In episode two, right, we find out that Kanan is a Jedi and he like lets that secret go. Really just strong stuff right away. Such a great moment. One of my faves. It is amazing. And I think that for me, when I was rewatching this, it was like hit after hit. I was like, dang, that was a good episode. Wow, that was really great. Oh, man, like I love these characters. And coming out of Rebels for the full experience, my favorite character in Rebels is Sabine. However, watching this season, I'm like, wow, they really made Hera the leader, the pilot, and like such a badass. And I was like, wow. I think um, Dave actually talked about in one of the Rebels recons that like you might assume that Kanan is like the leader of this family. But no, it's Hera. And I thought that there was a lot of strong moments with Hera in this first season that I just didn't really remember. And I think that there's a lot of great foreshadowing that actually happens for all of the characters, but perhaps especially Hera and Kanan in this first season that really got me, like really got me. I think upon rewatch, because I, I actually started a Rebels rewatch like... I don't know, a very slow Rebels yeah, rewatch. This is, like this a year is my like third ago. time I've rewatched this first season, um, really. But I think that every time I rewatch Rebels, it's like I can kind of linger and enjoy these episodes more that I think probably on first watch, I don't want to say filler, but like I think about like the the Zeb and Ezra episode where they're going after the Melu run fruit. It's not filler, but it's definitely not something compared to like Path of a Jedi, right? Which it's weird for stuff that's definitely like our bread and butter, right? Like if you were to look at those two episodes, I think most mm-hmm. people will be able to say which is their, which would, is our favorite Path of the Jedi. But I think, like, with the Mei Run episode, like, watching it this time, I was just so, like, charmed by these characters and enjoying watching them bicker. And that's something that's really nice when you have the full story available to you and, and know it, have already seen it, where you're not – like, there's a certain type of, uh, like, tension in Star Wars stories, which is great, obviously, of, like – what's coming next? Like what, who's going to show up? What new thing are they going to learn? It, it's, I think I would kind of call it the Ahsoka problem, not Ahsoka problem, mm-hmm. but I guess problem, but mm-hmm. you know, watching all of Clone Wars going, all right, is this it? Is this it? What's going to happen to her? What's going to happen to her? Is she living? Is she dying? You know, that sometimes that can be your only focus or you can just obsess over that point um, and what's coming later down the line. But then, you know, once you know, you can go back and kind of appreciate all of these fleshed out details and character moments and just funny moments, especially in a show like Rebels um, that just really, <laughs> really makes you laugh. I I laughed a ton in this viewing of Rebels Me too. one and I was like damn this show is so funny <laughs> it's so good I think they really knew that they wanted to inject some goofiness in the show and it, it works right away yeah it does. I love the dynamic between all of them Chopper being the source of constant humor is just so funny <laughs> I don't know it's just hilarious and Kanan Kanan, for as serious as we leave him at the end of Rebels, right? Mm-hmm. He is so goofy in the beginning. So He's funny. Goofy, yeah. So filled with like funny little quips. It's like a little, okay. little bit of dry humor. <laughs> so funny. Yeah. It's, it's so great. God. I love them so much. <laughs> Me too. All right, let's move on to part two to talk about the themes. <laughs> 
All right. Welcome to part two, where we're talking about themes of season one. And if you've been itching for us to finally start talking about some specifics of the season, bada bing, bada boom, here we are. are. (laughs) (laughs) Did a lot of rambling about our headspace of 2014, but now we're here to actually talk about the season. And I think that we kind of talked about this in part one and have always talked about this with Rebels, but as Charlotte loves to say, it was a book we could put on a shelf. And as a book on the shelf, there is this really, I would say, like really super tight storytelling in it of these themes and parallels and trajectory of where the story is going that when you are rewatching the show, it's kind of so obvious some of them, but a lot of them I feel like I definitely didn't pick up on in in many, in my first watch of the show, but then even in subsequent rewatches. And I don't know, I think it's such a tight story overall. And I really appreciate about that show. And I think you really see that in the themes that are prevalent throughout the entire series and how they really hone in on them. And I think the one that is kind of the most obvious is, of course, the theme of found family and how that just truly carries the show throughout every single episode and is like in your face. But it's never a bad thing (laughs) to be in your face. Rebels is the clearest example Star Wars has of found family as a trope, and it is a perfect example of that. When people talk about found family and like a lot of the times is a hot take, I think people are mostly talking about friendship. This is found family. Mm -hmm. Rebels is found family. And in turn, I think this inspires the ethos du jour of Star Wars Rebels and the beginning of the Disney era with Lucasfilm, and that is belonging. So I think every single member of the Ghost crew is finding a sense of belonging, and we see that more throughout the rest of the season. But specifically in season one, I think Ezra is really searching for his purpose and what it means. And in turn, I think Kanan is also going on the same journey in a lot of ways that was really clear to me in this first season, how much this season is really about building the relationship between Kanan and Ezra. And throughout it, I was try- I was thinking, because I think Hera is the mother figure of the ghost crew, right? Kanan is the father figure. But at the same time, I think the relationship between Kanan and Ezra isn't necessarily father and son. I think it's like something deeper in this weird way. I kept trying to think about it as like an Obi-Wan-Anakin relationship, but I just think it's wholly different. And I I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that, Caitlin? Because I just couldn't really wrap my mind around why I thought these two relationships were different, even though they absorb the master and apprentice master Padawan thing. As I ask that question, I think I can answer a little bit of it, <laughs> which it is they Kanan is imperfect. And because his Jedi training ended quite early, there's a roughness to him that I think is different than like the Obi-Wan Anakin relationship, of course. And because of that, they really lean on each other. And I think that strengthens the found family aspect that you get immediately when you start watching season one. There's kind of a completing of something in each other between the two of them. I think while you're talking, I was kind of thinking about the roles of all of the characters and right. It feels like 
like Hera is the most, I would say, established in her role, or I would say the most steadfast in what she's doing, right? Like Hera, we know, is working with Bail Argana as a rebel cell. This is something she is kind of isolated in, but so steadfast. Sabine is also steadfast in this, but as we see in this season, she has a lot of questions for Hera about it and is kind of, she has some doubts throughout this season, right? I think Zeb's Zeb's role or motivations is still, it's not as explored in season one. Um, we get there. But with Kanan and Ezra, Kanan, when Ezra appears, Kanan, or I'm sorry, when Ezra appears, it awakens this acknowledgement for Kanan about where his Jedi training, where his shortcomings are when it comes to being a force user. And I think for Ezra, it becomes like, you're right. It's not Kanan isn't a father figure. He's not, I think Ezra does describe him as such at some point in the show, but it isn't a father figure because Ezra has like a deep connection to his own father. And it's not even like an older brother. It is like a master, but it's something deeper with that like sense of belonging that I think you were touching on earlier of like Ezra is so protective over Kanan being his master. Like, he doesn't want anyone else. It's, it's, it's Kanan or it's nothing, <laughs> you know, and Ezra wants to be a Jedi, but he wants to be, I would say that at this point in the season, in season one, he wants to be Kanan's Padawan more, if that makes sense. Uh, like he wants to be Kanan's Padawan or no one's Padawan. <laughs> and I think he kind of vocalizes that more or less throughout this season. Whereas I think Kanan, when he's training Ezra, realizes what his shortcomings are and his fears. And they both care so deeply for one another so immediately, but feel like they're not what the other person needs in a lot of ways. And I think seeing that kind of evolve over the season and over the seasons is just, it's really beautiful. Um, there was one interview with Dave that we didn't mention up top or I didn't talk about this detail where he talked specifically about this like master apprentice relationship between Kenan and Ezra and how it's, it's not that it's the same as Ahsoka but, and Anakin, but like in keeping that Star Wars tradition, he they frame a lot of shots very similar to Anakin and Ahsoka and like Anakin and Obi-Wan and then Kanan and Ezra. So I, I think it's funny. I, I hadn't really thought about it like that before, like in the way that we talk about Star Wars silhouettes being instantly recognizable, that there are kind of some of these framing devices for Star Wars, even for pairs of characters like masters and apprentices that are recognizable or that we attribute to these types of relationships like Kanan and Ezra, um, which I thought was a really interesting tidbit that I hadn't really thought about before. But K Kanan is my favorite character in Star Wars Rebels. And so I think seeing his journey throughout season one as it relates to Ezra is just, for me, it's the most emotional. And I think that Ezra's role within the ghost crew and in this season, like you said, Charlotte, is about that sense of belonging. And maybe even more so, it's about him admitting that that's what he wants and that's what he's scared to lose. And I think we really see that in the whole back half of the season where time and time again, Ezra is put in these situations where he feels like he's going to lose the ghost crew, that they don't actually like him, that Kanan is gone, that Kanan's going to give him up to another master everything like that. It's the sense of abandonment again. And it's like the more and more he vocalizes it, the more confirmation he gets from the ghost crew that he is a part of their family and they're going to stick together no matter what. 
Yeah, plus one on all that. Plus, I, um, a plus one. A vote. I think uh, something that another thing, sorry. <clears throat> another thing to note about contextualizing this series is thinking about how we just went through five seasons, eventually seven seasons of the Clone Wars chronicling the cloudiness and eventual downfall of the Jedi to the point where the audience then comes into... And also we just watched Ahsoka leave the Jedi Order in a very unfair situation, right? There's a certain sense that the audience could hold as a Star Wars fan of being anti-Jedi. And I think what Kanan then represents is a rougher-edged type of Jedi that is somewhere in between quite literally the prequel Jedi and the original trilogy, Luke Skywalker. And then you introduce Ezra, who is a character who is purposely analogous or similar to the Luke Skywalker character in a lot of ways because they were born on the same day, essentially. Um, maybe like give or take a few hours, but I think that, that that's purposeful because you're supposed to think about those parallels. All this to say, I think the sense of Kanan trying to find himself and what it means to be better as a person and a Jedi, because that's essentially all we're talking about, right, is how do you become a better person? He finds that through Ezra. And we're able to understand the if we have any doubts or anything about the the Jedi as a system, <laughs> as a religion, those sort of go out the window when we're talking about two individuals who are just trying to find hope in a dark galaxy. And so much of Rebels is really about that, right? Is about pushing beyond um, when things are their darkest or you keep failing or you feel alone. Because a lot of the ways the ghost crew just is like an island unto themselves. And that's part of the frustration that Sabine feels throughout the series, throughout season one particularly, is that she doesn't understand where this is all leading. She thinks she's doing good, but she's left in the dark from Hera. And I can totally see understand that. But Sabine having to trust everyone around her than to uh, ensure that she is doing the right thing. I mean, they all basically have to do that. Sabine is just the one that we hear from with that. Everyone really does have to work on becoming a better person, I guess. And I think that that perhaps like wasn't the main focus of the Clone Wars. And I think that's what makes this a little, the Rebels a little different and a little bit more heartfelt in a lot of ways. Yeah, there are some great moments, especially with Ezra. I can't remember which episode it is, but he's talking specifically about how being a part of the ghost crew has made him a better person, even in the short time he's been with them. You know, he talks about how before he only thought about himself. He only cared about himself. But now once he saw what the ghost crew were doing and getting supplies for other people and getting weapons away from the empire, he's realized that there's a bigger purpose to all of this. And he feels motivated to do that. And then even through that, we see him reconnect with the legacy of his parents too, which I got to say, anytime Ezra's parents are brought into this story, <laughs> I am like not okay. <laughs> it just <laughs> wrecks me so much every time Ezra has to think about his parents and just the whole journey he went on in season one of opening up about talking about them and what they did and how they were these beacons of light that they kind of 
completely on their own. And I think Kara and Sabine talk about this too, about like how incredible Ezra's parents were in that they, they had literally no one else. It was just them sending out these, these radio program calls, similar to what Call Travis does, of hope to the people on Lethal for no reason other than to give hope and um, comfort to the people of Lethal and just how incredible that was when they had no resources, no other support, nothing like that. They just did it because they knew it was the right thing to do. And how Ezra really ran from that for a really long time because he had to, right? He had to survive. He was, what, seven, eight years old? And for him to come back around to that and for him then to send out a radio call of hope that is transmitted to the galaxy and then that becomes part of how Fulcrum is revealed and they learn about the rebel cells and that they're stronger together and everything. It's just... It's it's beautiful full circle moment that I don't think I really appreciated for in season one, how like that story itself is kind of contained within season one as far as Ezra and his parents and, and like that detail of the radio transmission kind of thing. I just thought it was so well yeah. done and really emotional and seeing Ezra open up about what happened to his parents and how much he misses them and like Sabine fixing the photo file like get out of here. I'm done. I can't handle it. (laughs) So good. (laughs) I think something that is so beautiful about Ezra's journey, and I think you talked about it with the fact that he is inspired by his own parents who used to send out these signals and then he sends out a signal. I think something with Star Wars that is something that you and I talk about a lot is how the galaxy would have been a better place in the Skywalker tragedy if people just communicated with each other. And I think with Ezra, a major thing with his character is that he goes on a journey of understanding how valuable communicating is, right? Mm -hmm. From his parents literally sending out messages to him at the end, also sending out messages specifically in this season. But then again, not only is that a nice arc that we see, um, but also the fact that Ezra's like superpower, if you will, is communicating with animals Mm -hmm. and creatures and feeling them and helping them. In the episode Gathering Forces, when Ezra first taps into that ability to control the creatures, I think that first happens with the Lothcat destroying the probe droid, which is amazing, but he controls that like evil creature and that's him tapping into the dark side. Controlling versus communing and like feeling is so different. And I think that's something that Ezra explores throughout this entire series but um it i think rebels in a lot of ways has this large emphasis on how important it is to communicate with each other to hear each other to feel with each other then i think ezra in a lot of ways embodies that and throughout it all the great thing about star wars rebels is ultimately while the show is called rebels it really is a great jedi story that shows in a lot of the same ways that dave did with showing how amazing of a Jedi Ahsoka is, even if she doesn't call herself one. Ezra and Kanan are outside of the norm of what we're used to with like the prequel Jedi or even the original trilogy Luke Skywalker Jedi, but somehow embody the tenets of Jedi more so than everything that we've met before. I just think that it's interesting that Ezra's superpower is communicating and how important that is for his character and his relationship to his parents. 
Yeah, and even just with the other members of the ghost crew communicating what is going on with him and how he's feeling because he's definitely not doing that in the beginning half of the season. He'll get really angry about things, right? Remember when they first go to his parents' house and he doesn't even acknowledge that that's where he grew up or that that was... He shuts down. Yeah. He's concealing everything. He's concealing, he's concealing, not feeling. I -hmm. think... I think we can't go forward with this discussion without because we've been talking a lot about Kanan and Ezra without talking about what a incredible parallel season one is with season four. The back it's half. It's not fair. Uh, it's not fair. I'm watching That's, it. This I'm is like, why have this I is never why I think Dave is a genius. This like before <laughs> this this entire parallel is like it's so, everything is planned and we just have to have patience. It's so on you the know? nose. It's like <laughs> it's. I was watching it again and I'm like, am expand I, on it because people might not. Am know. I stupid? Why <laughs> Star Wars at all? <laughs> so I. Okay, again, full spoilers for everything that happens, but in the back half of season one of Rebels, it's really a time of talking of Kanan and Ezra. Of course, other things are going on, but again, our our focus right now is Kanan and Ezra, and I think the show focuses a lot on Kanan and Ezra, their relationship with each other as master and apprentice, of Ezra's growing force abilities, of what he does when he is feeling emotional about something, uh, how he reacts to something like his parents or something like Kanan being taken or potentially injured, something like that, and how he tends to have really emotional reactions. And like we were mentioning in episode nine, Gathering Forces, when he thinks that Kanan has been killed or seriously injured, he taps into the dark side to control that beast rather than um, work in communion with it. In the back half of season one, too, the whole finale is about Kanan's capture and whether or not they're going to get him back and how they're going to do that. And Fulcrum, Ahsoka, tells Hera that they should leave Kanan to stay imprisoned with the Empire, whereas Ezra is like, hell no, we're not doing that. And he concocts this plan to go and rescue him, and they do, and it's great, it's fabulous. But we see Hera struggling with what it means to let Kanan go. And you get to season four, and all these same kind of story beats are happening, but the way that Ezra responds to them is completely different. And it's it's like... I almost just want to jump to the end of season four, like in our rewatch (laughs) and see like even better how beautifully they match up because we have Ezra controlling, um, not controlling, working in communion with creatures, with the Purgles. We have Kanan being taken, not taken, Kanan is killed. And Ezra has the opportunity to get Kanan back. But in this scenario, he's he is controlled by his emotions. Obviously this is what's happening in world between worlds, but he's wise enough to listen to Ahsoka in that moment. Whereas in season one, he doesn't listen to Hera. He disobeys all of Hera's orders to go after Kanan. And obviously that was the right call. But the point here is how Ezra is able to recognize the differences in these situations. And even the way that Kanan rescues the crew in season one when he is captured versus how he eventually sacrifices himself in season four are incredibly similar scenarios like eerily similar I don't think I remember how (laughs) similar they were and then even to see like Hera knows the difference in these situations too like in season one she hesitates to leave Kanan but she does it in season four 
she refuses to leave Canaan, but she, he doesn't give her the option in order to save her. He sacrifices himself. And I just, there's even like, right. Palpatine even tempts Ezra with his parents again, just like we see temptation from the inquisitor and Gal Travis about the truth of what happened to Ezra's parents, this false hope that they could be alive in season one. And Ezra latches onto that and gets the crew in a lot of trouble in season one. Whereas in season four, when Palpatine tempts him with that in the biggest way possible, he he overcomes it and he knows that it's an illusion and he knows that he can't fall into this trap. And it's like it's so <laughs> well done and it's so beautiful. And then to think about season one where time and time again, Ezra talks about how afraid he is to be alone and to lose the people that he loves. And he even says in Gathering Forces, he says, I'm afraid of knowing. And then in Path of the Jedi, he says, I'm alone, abandoned again. But then he picks himself up and he says, yeah, I've been alone before and survived. I can do it again. And I feel like that's what he was telling himself in season four when he does eventually. Yes. He chooses sacrifice himself, sacrifice himself put, make himself be alone to leave the people, the planet that he loves. Uh, I'm going to cry. Just thinking about it. It's so good. And anyway, it's so, like. Again, I did not realize how incredibly similar these two back halves were. And I feel ridiculous <laughs> for not having realized it or I don't know, maybe like verbalized it in my own head. I don't know. But it's so well done and in a way that you can see how much these characters have grown over the seasons, particularly when it comes to Ezra. Mm -hmm. The concept of sacrifice is brought in so early to the series. Kanan basically immediately, like mid-season, says you have to be ready to sacrifice for something bigger. And he's not just talking about sacrificing yourself, but sacrificing things, sacrificing mm -hmm. experiences, sacrificing relationships. Um, and I... There's some there's so many lines that are like sort of chilling when you know where it's going um, that make you think about how important each character's own sacrifice has been and I think all of them do sacrifice something uh, every member of the ghost crew does at some point it's just we sort of remember Kanan and Ezra is perhaps the most and we're talking about Kanan and Ezra the most it's just so well written and when you trace it like that Caitlin it really is like so emotional mm -hmm. and then I think that's like it's hard when you watch something week to week for years with long periods of time in between, moving on to new Star Wars movies and Star Wars projects, you forget these parallels. But I think what you described is exactly why I always refer to Star Wars Rebels as like a book that you can close and put on your on the shelf because the themes are so beginning, middle, end. And while I can't wait until we bring Ezra home, I really can't. He's coming home, right? He's coming home. He's coming home. <laughs> He's coming home. Um, I still feel like the show is so satisfying in that journey mm -hmm. of that emotional journey and that growth that you see from point A to point Z with this series. It is really incredible and something I don't think Clone Wars did. And I don't think Clone Wars set out to do either because it's not really what it was there for. It's a transition series between one movie and another movie. And I don't necessarily think Rebels is actually that, but, um, it is just so well done. It's brilliant. It really is. And I think, I don't know, I just think there's like the ending of Rebels was so incredible 
at the time that it aired and still is today that it's still like top tier Star Wars for me. And I remember I had a friend who was watching, I've talked about her before. She's like been going through all the Star Wars shows and film shows for the first time. And I remember when she, she went through Clone Wars and I was like, this is like some of my favorite yada, yada, yada. And then I remember when she started Rebels and I was like, I don't think you understand season four Rebels is some of my all time favorite Star Wars. And looking back now after revisiting season one, it's like, it's so clear why it works so perfectly because all it's probably like subconsciously I was <laughs> being like, Oh, this it is, is story it, works subconsciously. Exactly. On you. That's what always yeah. And it's like, that's why it's hitting at It was hitting at an even deeper level, uh, when it was airing of this is like Ezra has been through these similar situations before and he acted one way and it was rash and juvenile and, it was ultimately successful, but the point is to see how he's changed and why this situation is different and calls for a different outcome. And there's just something absolutely stunning about it. And yeah, like you said, why why Rebels kind of stands the test of time as this like complete book on the shelf um, story. And I just, I love it for that. Um, I think you know, we kind of you touched on Hera a little bit. One thing I did want to shout out is the her. I would say her two, uh, not her two episodes. She's in every episode, but the episodes out of darkness and then idiots array with Hera are just both incredible episodes. But I thought that the way that Hera talked about the rebellion, or rather, what she was doing in Out of Darkness, like some of the writing and dialogue, I think in Out of Darkness specifically, just like really, I thought was so well done as like a standout in the season. And the argument between her and and Sabine, I think works so well for all of the reasons that Sabine is frustrated with Hera and what's going on. It obviously all makes sense. Um, but Hera has to keep these things close to her chest and I love there's that one point when she her and uh, Sabine are like in this really heated argument and Sabine says I need to know that you trust me and Harris says what you need is faith faith in the long-term plan that is bigger than us Lothal the whole outer rim and I don't know why I kind of felt Nemec like yeah in from Andor yeah Nemec is up as Chili's tonight like that's kind of what I felt <laughs> when Hera was saying that and like Vanessa Marshall's performance of those lines they I was just like yes, Sabine, you need to have faith in the long-term plan. And like, it's bigger than us, which is then so ironic because we see Sabine in a completely different ending point at the end of Rebels too. She, she becomes small scale. Um, and I, I don't the mean, one with the knowledge. Yeah. I don't mean that negatively at all. Cause I remember at the time, a lot of people did see that kind of negatively about Sabine's character and I I never did because that was kind of the opposite change for her throughout the season like in season one she is all in on just thwarting the empire at any cost which is great right that she's a rebel that's what she's supposed to be doing but for it then to come to a place for her where it's ultimately important to be on Lethal, where so much has happened for her and in honor, in anticipation of Ezra's return, like that to me is also a beautiful turn for her story as well and what family means for her. And I really liked Out of Darkness in that sense of of how Hera's path kind of stayed the same in a lot of ways, but Sabine's changed in kind of a complete 180. Yeah, I think that's true. I think 
when you realize in out of darkness you don't know Sabine's full backstory like you know that she yeah. was in the Imperial Academy she left because she didn't agree but once you unfurl everything with Sabine's story it's much darker than you think it is on the surface so getting it like something that's interesting actually if we're gonna take uh, stay on Sabine is how established Sabine and Ezra are as like they tease each other. There could be a potential couple situation down the line. They do that in the very beginning. You can't deny it. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> and I think eventually that partnership becomes something more than what we can talk about, like with romance or anything like that. And that is just trust. And yeah. maybe in this first season, we see Sabine like desperate to be led in the inner circle. And then mm-hmm. by the end of it, she is she is the inner circle yeah. for Ezra at the very end there for his own sacrifice. She knows, Chopper yeah. knows, but that's it, right? Very true, yeah. That's a really good point. And I think just understanding the, how like dark Sabine's past is is a great journey that we go on. Actually, I'm glad that you brought, up, brought this up, Caitlin, because some of the reviews that you had put into the Google Doc – Everyone commented on how they thought Sabine was kind of a thin character. And I was really surprised by that. But I understand that perspective if you didn't know where it was going. Um, And obviously, I mentioned that Sabine is my favorite member of the Ghost Crew. So I was like personally offended. And then then, um, I was like, wait, okay, fair. They don't know where it's going. And the where, where it goes is really interesting. And I know, don't you just know that the people who wrote this, like the writer's room, is like, we're going to have a Mandalorian character. We're going to tease that she's a Mandalorian, but we're not going to go into it. And when we do go into it, it's going to be so awesome, you know? <laughs> and it's like, you got to wait for it. But once you do, your mind is going to be blown. <laughs> and without Sabine in this story, we probably wouldn't get the continuation of the story that we got in The Mandalorian. So... I think something it's not this whole thing isn't obviously the first experience with the dark saber but it it really solidified it in a lot of ways and I think that um a big thing with rebels is just patience patience in the story patience in these relationships developing you can say patience on one end however I was really shocked in the first two episodes about how fast they established these known dynamics between these characters, right? I think you mentioned also that Zeb, I think I think Star Wars has a little bit of a problem when they have an ensemble cast, by the way, that they always include like the muscle character. You see this too in The Bad Batch where they include like the muscle character and then they don't really do that much with them beyond the like tropiness of the muscle. And I think Zeb's story is sort of glossed over with the Lasat genocide. And then that later becomes very important when there's that one episode, I think it's in season three or four, um, with the rediscovery of the Lasat homeworld and things like that. Very excited to get there. But I think just like Sabine, you just have to have patience that this amazing redemption story with <laughs> with Gallus and Zeb is going to come out soon. But uh there is a little bit of like, okay, so we're talking all about Hera, we're talking about Kanan, we're talking about Ezra, we're talking about Sabine and like how they all round out. But like, we don't, I don't think I have a ton to say about Zeb. And I think that's perhaps a low light in like thematically in season one of Rebels. Yeah, I think that, you know, it is one of the critiques, I think, like even thinking about Out of Darkness, that's what the only episode where Sabine and Hera are on their own 
adventure together as like the two women of the show. That's absolutely a critique. And I think thinking about Sabine too, you know, her big storyline doesn't come well. It's like the end of season three or beginning episodes of season four. That's when we really start exploring um, with the Darksaber, which that's quite a long time, I think, to get into the meat of her story. And it's excellent. It's perfect. Like the duel between the training between her and Kanan is best ever top tier, especially because we see her helping Ezra in his training here uh, in season one uh, in, in instances. So then to have like this switch when she does have the dark saber, I think is really cool. And seeing how Kanan could be a mass could have been a master to her in a different world, I think is really great. But yeah, I think that's absolutely a critique of season one. And, and even with Zeb too, that a lot of their stories like Zeb and Sabine are kind of more isolated overall. And I think that what you said about how that's a struggle of the ensemble in Star Wars, and I think in any ensemble cast, but um, I do think you feel it in Rebels. Um, For as great as all these characters are, I kind of wish some of these beats had come a little sooner in the series overall. But for me, Mm -hmm. looking at season one uh, contained as it is, I think it's a situation where it's like Ezra is he's the lead character for the ensemble. So everything kind of has to revolve around him and where these like character, where the rest of the ensemble has their standouts is probably going to be in relation to him for the most part in these early episodes and in the first season. So to me, it makes sense that the bulk of the character development for season one is given to Ezra and Kanan, I would say. So again, for season one, I think that tracks. If we're talking about the series as a whole, I think there could have been some room to kind of switch some things up in regards to like Sabine and Zeb. But I think it I think it works for season one, honestly, which may not be what people want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> I know. It's it's tough, I think. Yeah. But yeah, that's where I land too. Is there any other themes that we want to discuss before we go into highlights and lowlights? Uh, I think the only other thing you had added into our notes, I don't know if this is exactly a theme, but um, just the establishment of Lothal as yeah. like the sense of place on Lothal is really well done. And yeah, again, I think that goes into the parallel with season four. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. So Yeah. I, I don't think I appreciated what they were doing with establishing Lethal so much in season one when we were watching it live. It wasn't until season three and four that you really realize that this is home in a lot of ways. I think they we have the ghost and we have Lethal, and both of those are emotionally significant. And I think Rebels does a really good job of establishing that as the planet. Mm-hmm. Um I think if you compare, this is different, right? For other, our, uh, as compared to our other animated series, the Bad Batch moves around constantly to the point where a lot of critique of that is it's very mission of the week, right? And then um, Resistance also moved around a lot, mission of the week style. It's not that Rebels isn't mission of the week; it does do that, but we have an emotional tie to this original planet that we started on. We have a character who's from there. And I think with Clone Wars, it's just an entirely different show. It's just completely different. So that it, this is different, I guess, than we're used to. And I think they do a really good job of that. Anyway, we should move on to talking about highlights and lowlights of the season. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. 
always. Okay, so welcome to part three. We're going to be talking about the highlights and lowlights of this season. Um, I think we should start with our lowlights before we start with our highlights. Yeah. Um, I think the lowlight we talked a little bit about with is for me Zeb a little bit. But I still love that character, obviously. But I think that if I'm if I can analyze I can analyze the others a little bit better. That's that. Yeah, I think I we have the same low lights. I think it would be Zeb. I think specifically with the Lasats and how we get the I think one thing that's great about Zeb in season one and perhaps more than the other characters is that he is really good at showing expressions on his face and what he's feeling when he's not saying anything about it. Um, particularly like in the first episodes when he is the one who causes Ezra to get captured and he's like, well, we had to leave him, but you can tell how guilty he feels about this throughout the next couple of episodes, but he's not or when they rest throughout the rescue of Ezra, but he doesn't say it, but you can see it all over his face. And I think the episode where we find out about what happened to the Lasats with that weapon, um, I forget what it is. But you can see his, uh, like, you can really see how he shuts down around it and that hesitation and, uh, like, even being around those weapons. But I think that the episode really just really glosses over it, I think, um, maybe too much given how serious of a subject matter it is. And and even though Hera, I think, talks to Ezra about it later, like, you should cut Zeb some slack about how he's feeling because this is what those weapons were used for. Kanan has like no problem bringing these weapons onto the ship, selling them to other people, even knowing Zeb's backstory with them. And I think Zeb even says he would rather destroy the weapons than get paid for them or something like that. I just think it was kind of the whole conversation around the Lasats and what happened is, is very kind of odd. I think in that episode, given how serious it is and where we see that journey later on in the series, which does turn into a very beautiful story later on, um, but has kind of a weird Rocky start. Totally agree. Yeah. I think that there, there could have been a little bit more care with that. Mm -hmm, yeah. But also I feel like they might not have known how deep they were going to go into that as well. So That's I think true. there's a little bit of a balance with it. Um, my other low light has sort of become a little bit of a joke for me. And that is how Gal, Gal Travis seemed like he was going to be a huge character <laughs> and then basically drops off like mid season two as not important. And also like they went with this like unimportant guy as like a MacGuffin type of situation. It just seems so random. <laughs> <laughs> the whole Gal Travis thing is random. I think that it serves a purpose for Ezra as we've talked about, but I still I'm like him. Listen, really? I think the Gal Travis reveal is up there with Goldie from Clone Wars. No way. Goldie, Goldie is next Goldie level. is better. But the mm -hmm. first time I knew what Gal Travis was doing, I was like, excuse the heck out of me, sir. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's fair. But he just like drops. He does. The storyline drops. The storyline drops, but the reveal was good. <laughs> fair. Fair. The reveal was good. Imagine but again, it was like this guy. This guy. K. <laughs> this guy? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's like an arrested development with the whole her. Like that's how I feel about <laughs> Gal Travis. Anyway, let's let's move on to highlights because there are a lot more. Yeah, I think we've talked a lot about our highlights in the last part, but I really think that Kanan and Ezra's relationship is a huge highlight for me. 
uh, throughout the season. And just the, the parallels again to season four is just so incredibly well done. I kind of can't get over it. Me too. Obsessed. I think the immediacy of how well the ghost crew relationships were established, like this show knew they were doing a found family mm-hmm. dynamic. And they were like, we're going to do it so well. <laughs> we're going to be the top tier in Star Wars. And they nailed it. I love seeing how much of a boss Hera is and just appreciating her character more and more. And then for me, the Ahsoka reveal, I'm one of those people, got me really into the show. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so her coming down the, the ladder, I remember Caitlin watched this episode before I did. And this is one of those things. It's like the same situation in the star in the Sky Talkers lore of me not watching the finale of Clone Wars right away. I wasn't gonna bring this up when we were talking about season five. <laughs> I wasn't gonna revisit this. But I'll revisit it I'm now. I'm revisiting it because it's literally the same thing. Charlotte didn't watch the end of Clone Wars season five. Remember me talking about how, what a cliffhanger that was at the time? Yeah. She waited like two weeks to watch it. Yeah, it's insane. And refused and to let me spoil anything about it too. But so was like, I, I can't the- watch it. <laughs> I did the same thing for this season finale of Rebels because, like I said, I, I watched them in like bunches of three, and you were like, "Oh my gosh, you should watch it!" <laughs> and because of that, and then I did obviously, and I was so excited. But I remember the ladder, her coming down the ladder reveal being so much bigger than it actually was. <laughs> in fact, when you watch it in this in the show, it is such a little blip. The music doesn't even swell. She just like walks on down, and then she's there. And I think in in my head, I was like, she slowly comes down the ladder and she's there and everyone's like, whoa, who is she? But that doesn't really happen. That's no. like, who's this? Who's this woman? And then that's it. <laughs> I think that's cool. Like in hindsight, I'm like, yeah, that's great. And I know that I'm sure that was deliberated about how much of a big deal to make about Ahso- the Ahsoka reveal. Um, and it worked. Again, it got me in. I think it's great. I love it. I love that she's full grown. Yeah. Something else that I think is is when you were talking, I was thinking about why it's not as big a reveal too. And they talked about this on Rebels Recon of that episode is the fact that we're used to what Ahsoka looks like in this time period. Whereas when she came down the ladder for the first time, not only is it yes. the reveal that it's Ahsoka who's fulcrum, so right. but it's a brand new character design for Ahsoka, new outfit. She Her head tails are longer. She looks completely different because she's now reimagined in the rebel style as opposed to the Clone Wars style. And this is the first time we've seen that. And they talked about that in Rebels Recon and how they like Dave had thought about her armor and how like she would be reimagined in this style. And now we're used to it. So it's not a shock to see her look like that either. Yeah. Now we're used to it. We've seen how badass it is. The payoff is really great, right? But yeah, I guess you're so right that that was the the conversation. Yeah. I also didn't realize that at the end of Rebels Recon, or right at the end of that episode, we see Vader too. And in Rebels Recon, they totally tease that Ahsoka and, Anna and Vader will... It's shocking. Will it's shocking. have some... I forget what they what Dave says, but it's more or less like... Dave talks about the white lightsabers. You'll yeah. see them next season. You're, you'll it's see like, them wait, next what? season. And he, said, he basically <laughs> confirms that Vader and Ahsoka Ahsoka are going to meet up in season two. And I'm like, that is just insane. And no wonder I was on such pins and needles for Twilight of the Apprentice. Probably because I knew it was coming like the whole season. (laughs) Like something was coming. (laughs) And it's just, I can't imagine a world where they would share something like that again. (laughs) Right. Totally. I think 
that to me sounds like a decision made from Lucasfilm and Disney to make sure that people continue to watch, get hyped and amp up like season two, season three, so that they continue to get renewed, mm-hmm. you know? Well, they had already that been was renewed the, for season two. They had been renewed, but maybe they weren't renewed for season three. And if they were in the throes of creating season two at the time of the interview, they wanted to get renewed for season three. So it gets people excited, right? It gets people watching. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's a business decision and I I don't think they even need to do that anymore. (laughs) Maybe they should, but they don't really have to do that. And I was surprised by that too. I was like, wait, what? We knew that? Okay. Yeah. And I guess like we did know that because we knew it was coming and we talked about it. It's crazy. Yeah. I remember they had, they had the trailers for it, right? Or they had a poster for it. I think that's what came out first before the episode. But I can't, I don't remember what, like we must've watched that whole season waiting for them to meet up or knowing that it was going to be teased. I don't think I could have ever foresaw what would actually wait for us at the end of season two. I'm sure Dave teased it at Celebration too. So yeah, we were probably like screaming, crying, throwing up, waiting for that. Like we actually were though. (laughs) That was such a a big deal watching that. Yeah. So I was. Anyway. The the Ahsoka reveal, um, I know that it has been widely debated. I remember it being like, okay, so here's Ahsoka. Now Dave brought Ahsoka into Rebels, even though like they're establishing these new characters. It's not really about the new characters. Now Ahsoka is going to be part of it. So what does it mean for the future of the series? Um, I think it's that's fair to say, and I think that same conversation is happening today, <laughs> which is kind of interesting. Um, Poetry it rhymes. I know. And you know us, like I'm in, I'm in, I'm in. You know? So it's it's good. Um, and I think that it ultimately reinforces Ezra's Jedi tale um by having Ahsoka here. And I think it goes back to how I talked about how Kanan is sort of like a rough and tumble Jedi anyway. And so introducing Ahsoka as part of this like trifecta of like three Jedi is great because then it it establishes Ezra as a different type of Jedi apart from them, but in the similar sphere. Yeah, I agree. I think it's one of those fun things too, where they talk about this with path of the Jedi, where Ezra has no idea who Yoda is. So he does not recognize his voice and similar to Ahsoka. He doesn't, and he doesn't realize who she is or, you know, that she was connected with one of the greatest Jedi um, in the Jedi order. Like none of that registers for him. And I think that's just, it's a good component of his character to be kind of so unaware. Again, he's here for Kanan and and only Kanan. <laughs> in which case, like, so am I yeah, in a lot of ways. I you totally know? am. I will say, so So Path of the Jedi is, of course, one of my favorite episodes from the season. Um, but since we're talking about Jedi here, there's this interesting tidbit that I had never picked up on before. Um, when, right, so in that episode, uh, Kanan is talking to Yoda and then so is Ezra, right? Which I kind of am just LOLing at the idea of Yoda just chilling on Dagobah, randomly communing with these random force users who happen to appear in temples across the galaxy. And Well, (laughs) one comment about that is that that is made less weird with the fact that now something called a seeing stone exists based off of the Mandalorian, which like you can contact a Jedi based off of like, like through the force through space and time. It's still kind of funny. Okay. 
<laughs> it is. He's but like I making think it's his like, soup. This, this he's, was like, a, he's like, oh, Ezra's on the line, and then he's like, puts you on hold, and he like goes back to Canaan, and oh my god, yeah, the this soup is felt like an outlier. Overboiling. It doesn't. It doesn't feel like an outlier now. No, in it a doesn't. lot of ways. Um, I don't even think it felt like an outlier then, because uh, it, it's Yoda, right? Like it makes sense. But when Kanan is talking to Yoda, right, he knows who Yoda is. Yoda knows who Kanan is. And Yoda says this interesting thing. He says, see you I can before I could not. Something has changed. And I've never picked up or thought about this tidbit with Kanan and thinking about Kanan hiding himself as a Jedi. I've never thought about him hiding himself in the Force as well, Um, similar to what Luke does uh, in the sequel trilogy. And I don't think they ever really super explore that or I'm just drawing like a huge blank here, (laughs) but they might. I mean, it's the time period in which they were working on that. And Dave was sometimes in those rooms. So yeah, but I just I don't remember Kanan ever talking about this again or this idea that he had like shut himself off from the force because that's kind of what it feels like Yoda is saying of this see you I can before I could not something has changed like he had shut himself off from the forest. And then it kind of makes this story of Kanan and Ezra all the more beautiful of their relationship to the forest and as master and apprentice and, you know, all of that good stuff. So I just I hadn't thought about Kanan like fully shutting himself off from the forest before. And even thinking about Yoda, how he could kind of presumably be keeping tabs on different Jedi who had made it out of Order 66 through the force. Yeah, maybe working with Obi-Wan Kenobi. Qui-Gon Jinn. Yeah, Qui-Gon, Obi-Wan. All of them. The way, yeah, all of it. I think, um, yeah, that's super interesting. And let's put a pin on it for when we watch the rest of the seasons. Exactly. Because I think it's worth exploring, especially as the stories continue to overlap during the movie releases. Um, throughout Rebels. It's really interesting. Yes. We, it's like my favorite thing about we Rebels. Even have, Not we have, really, but it's, one it's of them. It's a really great thing. We have hyperspace tracking in season one yes. of Rebels. I was like, oh my God, hyperspace tracking. Look at you. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I know what that is. <laughs> I know. It's it's just, it's wild. I love when that kind of stuff happens. And <laughs> then you watch Rebels Recon and you're like, oh, I never even thought about the, I don't know. Pablo will say something and you're like, wow, they're really keeping tabs on that. Never thought about that before. <laughs> I don't know. I guess, you know what I mean? People ask questions and I'm like, was that even in the episode? What are you watching? I What uniform? I know. <laughs> That's like, oh, I think we're watching like totally different things. I'm I'm here for the themes, okay? The relationships. Like, I don't know. Anyway. I'm here for the, the Kyber Kyber Crystal. Okay. Yeah, 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 the Kyber Crystal. Oh my God. That was a crazy thing. Through Rebels Recon, I was telling Caitlin, I watched all of them from season one. I, I highly recommend it. It's just an interesting dive. And Pablo totally spoils the Kyber Crystal as the Death Star power thing for Rogue One. Rogue One wasn't even out yet. And it was like two years away. And he's like, and they fully spoil it. They were spoiling things left and right on Rebels Freak. They didn't care. They they did <laughs> not care. They had a show to produce and it was going to come out two hours after it aired and that's the way it was going to go. Well, you know, even even uh, the episode, the next week's episodes would air like four days early on the Disney XD app and website uh, before it would air on TV. I'm like, that's insane. <laughs> I know. I was like hacking into my parents stuff to watch all this. Um, 
I still do that, but you know. <laughs> Trying to get onto <laughs> my parents' Xfinity account from college and they're like, you're not on the home network. And I'm like, ugh. I know. It's like I have to figure out a way around that. That was so frustrating. The Disney XD of it all was a lot. It was. I don't. I think uh, probably only probably half the time was I able to actually watch it early. Yeah, I think um, something that I don't uh, – Star Wars fans maybe don't reflect on an, a lot enough is Disney Plus Disney. how wonderful Disney Plus is just because of the amount of hacking, illegally watching I have done for Star Wars my whole life is insane. <laughs> it's the only thing I would ever do that for. And when I lived in London, I would watch – have to like figure out how to watch The Clone Wars that night when it was dropping. Um it was a mess and just like the Disney XD, like I didn't have that. I just, I didn't have it when I moved in my own place when it was still airing and it was a lot. <laughs> it was a lot. And uh, since that one reviewer called, called Disney XD the boy Disney network, I am not a boy. So I did not have it. It was not for me. <laughs> not for me. <laughs> couldn't use it. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Boys only. <laughs> Uh, since we were talking about the lightsaber, one thing that legitimately made me tear up in watching this season was the fact that all of Ezra's lightsaber parts are like donated from the rest of the ghost crew, how they like all gave him all these different spare parts and stuff. Even Chopper gave him a power cell, which I'm not sure if, the cutest if thing ever. Chopper knew that he gave Ezra a power cell, <laughs> but it just warmed my heart when you think about the Jedi and that isolationism that can be so apparent in the Jedi Order, especially from the prequel, the second trilogy era, to then have this family be so a part of a new Jedi's training to the point where they like almost like a school project, get all the supplies for him together. <sighs> it's so good. I, and they were all so excited to see it. And I I freaking love Ezra's first lightsaber. I think it's the one of the coolest lightsaber designs ever with the blaster. Even Kanan is like, you know what it's giving? It's giving Harrison, it's giving Han and the and Chewbacca's uh, crossbow where he's like, I didn't know yes. to do that. And Ezra's or Kanan says something very similar about Ezra's lightsaber, and and they did it first, exactly. <laughs> Technically, exactly. Uh, I just thought it was so cool, and it's such like a cool design. And I like Ezra's second lightsaber. I love a green lightsaber moment, but there's just something so so like twelve year old boy about Ezra's first lightsaber that is so endearing. And totally. I continue to love it so much. And I love the moment, again, of its construction. Me too. Which one of the reviews, uh, the the AV Club actually review of that episode, I think it was that one, kind of downgraded this moment to be like, they just needed everyone to have a speaking part in this like ending scene. Oh, God. And I was like... <laughs> And you're like, no, no, like, no, 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 no. <laughs> tears streaming down my face. I'm like, this, this is beautiful work. This is a family. This is, there's nothing here about screen time. <laughs> this is love. This is love. This is respect. This is, this is everything. This is found family. I'm like, yeah. Being found By family. Yeah. Uh, Okay. Well, oh, well, why don't we go over what our favorite episodes are of the season real fast? I feel like we've sure. kind of touched on them, but what are your favorites from season one? I think we talked a little bit about how much you and I both love Path of the Jedi. Uh, 
because of all the weird force stuff that happens and the illusion, the what's real, what's not of it. It's great. The Lothal Temple is awesome. It's hard to imagine that we hadn't really seen a ton of Jedi temples like we have now um, on screen. It's crazy. Um, but I think an episode that it's not, it's maybe not my favorite episode, but I do really like it and it sticks in my brain is the establishment and celebration around Empire Day. Mm -hmm. And I think this was a really good, um, world building situation that Star Wars did. It was something that was introduced, I think, in like Legends content and then it made its way into, um, Rebels to be canon. And I, love this episode particularly because Ezra's so grumpy we learn a lot about Ezra in this moment but then it's also this realization which I touched on before about these parallels between Ezra and Luke Skywalker and how we can think about their journeys as being similar and how are they different and things like that um and I just think that's a really good episode <laughs> I, I really enjoyed watching it and I think for me it was probably the episode when I was watching it live that got me in as much as Ahsoka, like seeing Ahsoka was like, wow, amazing. I think the empire day world building that it was established really made me want to continue to watch. Yeah. I think it was such a, a great episode for establishing what is kind of going on. Um, yeah. Like with the empire and its propaganda and stuff. I think even, I don't know if Tarkin doesn't make an appearance in this episode, but he does later on in the season. And, and he, the, the Imperial March and um, Major Key, too, is, is crazy. Wow. Yeah. It's incredible. They did um, something with that. They yeah. really did. They really did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, Tarkin also has a moment where he rolls his eyes so perfectly, talking to the Inquisitor and uh, what's-her-face, the Commandant or whatever on the planet, mm -hmm. the blonde, um, mm -hmm. where they're talking about the Jedi. And he's like, a Jedi? He's like, oh, well, if only we had someone here who was supposed to know how to deal with Jedi. <laughs> the Inquisitor. Yeah, I remember that her voice acting in that situation is very loud. I remember that very scene, loud. that part being like, oh, whoa, she was shouting. Yeah, but Tarkin is just so funny. And he's like, if only we had someone who was supposed to know how to deal with Jedi. And he literally rolls his eyes. <laughs> it's, it's so great. perfect it's so great i have to say too that a headcanon of mine is that you know there's the behind the scenes features um and photos uh, peter cushing filming a new hope where he's always wearing his slippers and i continue to imagine that tarkin always wears slippers wherever he goes even in rebels that if he, someday if you don't see it they're gonna feet. make it canon i know if you don't see yeah. his feet he's wearing slippers anyway um, for my favorite episodes, I would probably say Path of the Jedi is a favorite. And also, um, the whole, what is, I forgot to write down the name of the, the season finale episode, but everything with Kanan and Ezra in that episode, again, I'm just like a, a record, a skipping record about Kanan and Ezra, uh, but like when, when Ezra finally goes and rescues Kanan and Kanan's like, you shouldn't have come but I'm glad you did. Oh, just like heart-wrenching. And then their fight with the Inquisitor is so good. And the moment where Kanan thinks he's lost Ezra and he tells the Inquisitor that he has nothing left to fear and you just see like it snap into place for him in the force. And the moment when the Inquisitor dies or rather 
falls like chooses to fall off the ledge is so chilling when he's like there are some things worse than death and he lets go oh my oh my god <laughs> like just to be clear the quote is there are far more there are things far more frightening than death which reminds me of the bendu later yes exactly and i was like whoa i don't i have a lot to my brain was going crazy when it, i heard that line oh it's yeah I, yeah. Anyway, the fight is really good <laughs> and Kanan's reaction to potentially Ezra dying is really like emotional. I'll also say that this episode or this season a standout for me was Idiot's Array, which was just so funny. Again, it's the Hera standout episode. Chopper is working everything in this episode. He's such like a little you know what when he gets <laughs> sold by Zed. <laughs> that was great (laughs) and how he refuses to listen to anyone on the ghost crew and Hera totally backs him up he's like you sold him he doesn't have to do what you say anymore (laughs) so great and the puffer pigs oh my god oh my god like such nonsense such hilarious perfect nonsense and Lando you skipped over the fact that Lando's in it and Lando's great it's it's a great episode with Lando and even the end when Chopper when they're all like oh Chopper actually pulled one over on Lando and then they all pull out and Lando's like of course I knew that's why I didn't pay them and (sighs) the the only person on the ghost crew who could conceivably go against Lando would be Chopper honestly (laughs) (laughs) I just oh my gosh oh my gosh and which episode was it talking about chopper uh where they have the where they switch droids um Mm -hmm. and they're like yeah we're also gonna keep this other droid around like he was a really big help and they start flying away and chopper just (laughs) pushes him out the, the, the bottom of the coast it's funny because they spend a long time talking about how great that droid is and the comedic beats of chopper pushing that droid to his death he doesn't die is... oh he doesn't die i forgot no, about that but he could have cats later he could have he could have it was like and <laughs> so funny there's like an a pause right and they go to close the the bottom of the ship right and and chopper waits until there's just enough space to push the droid out like as the doors are closing it's perfect uh, <laughs> He's perfect. It, Chopper is the best. He really is. Unless you think he's an imperial plant, which I never did. But Yeah, you can't watch four seasons and watch him reach out his hand to no, Hera no, at the end of season that. four. No, we can't talk about that. Uh, yeah, okay. We'll get there <laughs> and one think day. he's an imperial plant, okay? <laughs> we'll get there one day. We will. Someday. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to say about season one of Rebels? I think I'm good. I'm excited to watch season two. Like, really excited. Me too. Well, that is going to wrap up this episode all about season one Rebels. I hope you guys enjoyed this kind of trip down memory lane. Please let us know what your favorite moments are from season one. I would love to hear like what are the standout things that you really connect to in season one or remember about watching season one uh, in this again kind of smoky time in fandom as we're kind of talking about it today. But you can tell us on Twitter at SkyTalkersPod or our personal handles. Mine is at Caitlin Plusher. Charlotte's is at Creerty. You can also let us know on Instagram or on TikTok. 
search Sky Talkers, Facebook, you'll find us in all of those places. We also mentioned at the top of the show that we are going to be putting out a Patreon episode all about our kind of immediate reactions to Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, as well as our experience at the premiere in Los Angeles a couple weeks ago. So if you're interested in hearing about that, you can head on over to our Patreon. And if you have a couple seconds and would like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, that really helps other people find the show and join in on the conversation with us. And again, if you're looking for other ways to support us, like I already said, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our reward tiers and all of our bonus episodes there. I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Anna, BB Nate, Madison, Trevor, Imbecilius, Aubrey, Danny, Rachel, Tim, Kelly, That's It, Brad, Tom, Allison, Jeff, Jose, Justin, Kate, Christina, Mason and Sophia, James, Maggie, Catherine, Olivia, Chuck, Anna, Colin, and Kelly. Thank you so much for supporting us. Thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. 